0: In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, I'm going to give you part two of a three-part series where I discuss the top big men that are returning to college basketball. Again, this is the top big men that are returning. I haven't included any freshmen in this group, but I think there could be up to 15 bigs that can get drafted next June. 15 bigs that can get drafted next June. So is this the return of the big men. I know we talk about the big man being phased out and everything is going smaller, but again, I think there's up to 15 bigs, returning bigs that can be drafted, and I haven't even included the freshmen. Earlier, I gave you one through five, and in this episode, it is six through 10. So find out the next five big men that I believe can shake up the 2024 NBA draft. Stay tuned. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Trap Junkies. Don't have a long introduction. I just want to get right into it. As I mentioned in the last episode, I had a crazy long night, spent the night at the airport, still haven't been to sleep, but when you give me a bunch of time. Where i don't have anything to do i'm gonna sit there and i'm gonna come up with different podcast episodes i'm gonna watch film so i've been excited to put together this three-part series three podcasts in one day is a lot but that's how excited i am about this this group of big men that i think are really going to shake up the 2024 nba draft returning big men, that is again no freshmen included all right the next big man that I want to talk about. Actually, I'll give you a recap. In the last episode, which came out just a few hours prior, I had my top returning bigs as Donovan Klingan, Kalel Ware, Kyle Filipowski, Trevon Brazil, and Deron Holmes from Dayton. The next big on the list that I'm really, really, really high on, and I will use a first round pick on him, because I think that he's going to be a 10-year veteran, and it is also Iguodaro from Marquette. I had some previous podcasts talking about him last year. I'm kind of surprised he came back. I thought he had a really good year, and then especially when I see the way that his teammate Olivier Maxence Prosper, the way his stock soared after the season, I thought Iguodaro could have had similar results 6'9", 225, average 11 points per game, six rebounds, well, 5.9 rebounds, I'm rounding it up to six. 5.9 rebounds, 3.3 assists per game, 1.5 blocks, 0.9 steals, so a little under 2.5 stocks per game. He's efficient from the floor, I think he shot like 66% from the floor, and he's one of my favorite players in this class. I think he's gonna have a 10 plus year NBA career, He can do what Dwight Powell does for the Dallas Mavericks. Dwight Powell has been with the Dallas Mavericks for a long time. I think he was in the Rondo trade. That's how long he's been with the Mavericks. Started off with the Celtics, but Dwight Powell's been there forever. Iguodaro is a good defender. He's a good athlete. I see some scouting reports question his athleticism. No, he's not a crazy athlete, but I think he's a good athlete, especially a good finisher around the rim, gets dunks. He's a good screener. He does all the little things that lead to winning. And I like his improvements. He's a little older than some of the guys, but he is a, a red shirt junior. He had 11 points per game last year, but under Shaka Smart, the numbers more than double. It went from 5.5 a game to 11.4, but my favorite attribute is his passing? He is an incredible passer. I think he's the best passing big man prospect in this class. He throws behind-the-back passes. He finds cutters. He whips cross-court passes. And I think that is the the skill set that he can hang his hat on in the NBA as an efficient rim finisher, but just a connector that you can give the ball to in the high post or the low post. That he can find guys for open shots. I mean, if you get a chance. Look at some of his highlights. I mean, he, he has better court vision and better feel as a playmaker and passer than some point guards, which is pretty impressive. All right, here is my scouting report. I say he's long, he's skilled, he's a good enough athlete to where he can play a role as a vertical lob threat. He has the ball handling to be able to face up and attack off the dribble. Now the face up game would be a lot more effective if he were a better floor spacer, but as far as putting the ball on the ground from like the the free throw line or the elbows in the short corner making plays, he has that in his game. He can handle the ball in space. I like his frame, has an NBA ready frame. He is a low post or a high post ball mover. He's a player that I think would be a really good pick and roll threat and he is very good at finding gaps in the defense. So whether it's just scoring off the move or finding open teammates, he's very good at just finding holes in the defense and getting to his spots. He's a very efficient finisher around the rim. Again, 66% field goal, so he is someone that I think has a skill set that translates to the NBA. Now, the areas of concern are he does not space the floor, does not space the floor at all. Very reluctant to shoot outside of the paint. And then he only shot 54% from the foul line. So you wonder what's his touch like. And with him being such a bad foul shooter, can you play him late in games in, you know, like like the NBA or whatever. And then I would like to see him become a little bit of a better rebounder. The rebounding numbers aren't bad, but what I would like to see out of him for 23-24 season is i like to see him show an extended range, and that's going to be, like, one of the main subjects in this episode. I'd like to show him show more range, become more efficient at the free throw line. I'd like to see him get up to at least 67 or above this year, And statistically, if he can average 15 points, eight rebounds per game, so that's basically like a three and a half, four point scoring increase, and two more rebounds per game. I would love to see that. Even if the field goal percentage drops a little bit, say 60, it goes from 66 to 60, I would definitely take that. But I really like Oso I Haven't seen many people talk about him as a first round pick, but I have him as a first round pick. There may be players with higher upsides, but as far as someone that I think is going to be a safe pick that plays in the NBA for a long time, it is Marquette's Oso Eagle Daro. All right, when we return, I want to talk about Adem Bona. Adem Bona is someone that I've somewhat turned a corner on. I've been watching him since he was in Turkey, when I lived in Turkey. But I'll finish talking about Adem when we return, but I want to talk to you about none other than FanDuel. Why FanDuel? Because FanDuel will give you $200 in bonus bets. You can take your first swing at betting on Major League Baseball at FanDuel, and you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right, if you just bet 20 bucks, just $20, and you can land 200 in bonus bets win or lose that's 200 you can spend betting everything from who's gonna hit the first home run who's gonna strike out first who is i mean so many things that you can bet on and what's cool about fanduel is that it's safe it's all on the fanduel app it is secure and you get your money instantly plus when you win you get paid again instantly i'll say it again when you get paid you get paid instantly so it's very easy to use there is not a better place to bet on Major League Baseball than FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. So sign up today, and when you visit fanDuel.com, be sure to use the promo code LOCKEDON, LOCKED, L O C K E D, Locked On, and you can get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's fanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports book partner of Major League Baseball, and Locked On. Big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And in the next episode, it'll be part three of a three-part series where I'm talking about the best big men returning to college basketball. All right. I left off, gave a little brief description of a Dembona. Bona Bona is someone, like I said, I've been watching him for years. My first time seeing him play, I want to say it was at the under... 18s in 2019, but I think he was only 16 years old, and he was teammates with Alperin and Shingun. Now, Bona at the time was considered the better NBA prospect of the two just because he had the, the physical tools that fit the modern NBA as far as the athleticism, the motor, the shot blocking, but he was extremely raw. I mean, he was, he was just out there running around wild, jumping up and down, running the floor, making some crazy plays, but looking like he was just given a basketball two weeks prior. Now, Shingoon was a lot more polished, but the Shingoon you see today is not the Shingoon you saw then. He's he slimmed down a little bit, the passing. I mean, I can go on and talk about the improvements that he's made. But Adem Bona is someone that, I've been kind of hard on him because I haven't seen great improvement in his game since I first laid eyes on him back in 2019. He's still the same player, a little bit more polished, but I was hoping he was going to add a little bit more to his game, but what I've come to realize and appreciate is that the role that he's playing now and the role that he played for the Turkish under 18 team is the role that he's gonna play for the NBA. He may not need to extend his range. He may not need to work on his handle. He can make a living as this athletic, shot blocking, energy hustle guy that impacts game with his defense and effort. And if he doesn't add to his game, it may limit his potential, but I think he can still have a long NBA career just filling the box as an energy hustle guy that can block shots. He is the reigning Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. He started every game for UCLA last year, and that was before he sustained a shoulder injury, which, I mean, I wonder how much does he regret it. He was diving for a loose ball in a Pac-12 tournament, and it ended up being like a torn labrum that required surgery. He missed out on the combine. He's still not ready to play as of a couple weeks ago when I did some you know when I was checking on on his progress so hopefully he comes back a hundred percent I hear that he's hoping to be ready in October but he was a guy that impacted games on the defensive end he only played about 23 minutes per game not a lot of minutes for a guy that started but despite being a starter the numbers weren't I mean great on paper average 7.7 points 7. 5 rebounds per game but 1.7 blocks and a little under 23 minutes per game. He was, a good again, a standout on the defensive end of the floor. He was the fourth leading shot blocker in the Pac-12, despite only playing like 23 minutes per game. He made the Pac-12 all defensive Team. So as you can see that his role in the NBA is going to be a defender. He has the tools and athleticism to be a really good defender, defend multiple positions. I think he can move his feet a little bit and defend some quicker players. He's gotten strong enough to where he can defend bigger players. Now, I do think that he's bulked up a little too much. Even though he's still a really, really good athlete, he's not as explosive as he was. And I think part of that is because he's put on some weight. But again, a guy that is going to make a living. His his calling card or the skill set to hang his hat on is his defense. And hopefully he's back healthy. It maybe shows a little bit more offensive game, but missing pretty much the entire offseason. He missed the whole spring, the whole summer, and it looks like a part of the fall. Hopefully he, he found time to, whether it's watching film or just kind of work on his ball handling or something. I, I know he's been pretty limited, but hopefully we can see a little bit more offensive flashes. Now here's my scouting report the Dembona. I have that he's an explosive vertical athlete. He has NBA vertical pop. He's a pick and roll threat. He is active, brings a lot of energy and effort. He protects the rim. He has excellent timing as a shot blocker. He blocks shots out of his area. Loves to sprint the floor and transition. Is a transition finisher. He has shown a little bit, a little, very, very little bit of the ability to attack the rim on on straight lines. He is capable of out-muscling weaker opponents which he loves to out-muscle weaker opponents to get offensive rebounds. But he's quick off his feet. Very light on his feet. Now, the concerns, and these are concerns that some of them may, I mean, they may not necessarily apply. He may not have to be a better ball handler to to make a living as an NBA player. But if he wants to reach his maximum potential, I believe that he's going to have to improve as a ball handler, add a little bit of a face-up game, um, just get a better feel i know he's somewhat of a late bloomer hasn't been playing basketball a long time like a lot of his peers so he's still a little raw still doesn't have great feel he is someone that i think really needs to add someone of a low post game maybe like a go-to move in a counter whether it's like a jump hook or, or just something to where if there's a mismatch and you have a small on him he can exploit the mismatch in the post I think that he or part of his improving his field is kind of cutting down on his turnovers I don't think he reads or processes double teams like if if he has the ball in the post which may not be a lot I think he's a guy that if a team sends a quick double he's gonna panic Um, I think that his touch around the rim needs to improve again spacing the floor and as a screener I think he'd be more effective as a scorer if he was a better screener there Are times that he just whiffs on screens, so I think that is really important, especially for him. If he wants to get those easy buckets, he's got to be able to set solid screens where he can roll. I think he needs to improve his hands. I don't think he has the best hands. Sometimes he bobbles passes, but if he can improve his hands, then I think that can be a little bit uh, of that can go a long way in helping him be able to have somewhat of an impact on offense. He's not going to get a lot of touches, so I think he needs to be able to capitalize. You know, whether it's a, a lob or, or you know, it's a tight pocket pass, I think every opportunity he has to score, he's going to need to capitalize on it. And as far as, like, the shooting game, I'm concerned about the free throw shooting. I thought his freshman year at UCLA, I thought he looked too heavy. I thought he looked like he put on too much weight too fast. Again, he's still a phenomenal athlete, but like I said, he wasn't as bouncy as he was just two years ago. And then this is a fundamental thing. I love to see him work on, and I, and I talked about in the last episode, the, the Mike and drill, the power Gasol, I should say, where he keeps the ball high, doesn't bring it low. Again, he loves to dunk. He's a powerful dunker, and he likes to squat down low, and that's where he generates his power from. But I think if he kept the ball high, and two points is two points, whether it's an emphatic dunk where you cock the ball back behind your head and, and and power dunk it or it's just a quick offensive rebound where you kept the ball high, you didn't give the defender time to foul you. Two points is two points. So I would like to see him improve that. Now, as far as what I would like to really see out of him in 2023-24 season, healthy. I would like to see if he's healthy and see if he can just add a little bit, just a little bit of game to... A little bit of game on the offensive end of the floor outside of energy plays or hustle plays. All right. When we return on the last segment, I want to talk about the guy that had one of the best seasons in college basketball history. I mean, the accolades were just coming one after another. And the player that I'm talking about is none other than Purdue's massive big man, Zach Eadie. So when we return, I'll talk about Zach Edie and why I think he could be drafted in 2024, despite the fact that his game may not fit the modern NBA. He was born in the wrong era. Alrighty, last segment. And I got to lead off the last segment talking about Zach Edie, the seven foot, 300 pound superstar, college superstar from Purdue. Now, Edie is rumored to have come back to college basketball because he had a massive NIL deal. I hear it was somewhere around seven figures. Again, I can't confirm that it's true or not. And he is Canadian. So I know there's like some type of um, work visa situation that kind of makes things a little bit complicated for international students to get their NIL money. But from what I heard, I think Purdue is gonna play a tournament in Canada, which is gonna allow him to get the money. And I had mentioned this around the NBA combine that, you know, the rumor was he was going back to school because the money that he was going to make at NIL would have been more money than he would make next year as a second round pick. But Edie had one of the most dominant seasons in college basketball history. You heard that correct. College basketball history. Listen to these numbers. 23 points, 12.9 rebounds, 2.1 blocks, 1.5 assists per game while shooting 60% from the floor, shot 70% from the foul line. He swept all of the National Player of the Year awards. All of them, the Wooden Award, the Naismith Award, the Big O Trophy, the NABC National Player of the Year, the AP National Player of the Year, the Sporting News National Player of the Year. Zach Edey, again, had one of the best seasons in college basketball history. He was first-team All-Big Ten. He was named to the Big Ten All-Defensive Team, was the Big Ten Tournament Most Outstanding Player, where he averaged 26 points and a little under 13 rebounds. He led the country in double-doubles at 27. He was second in rebounds per game, sixth in points per game, top 20 in blocks per game, top, well, just missed the top 20 in field goal percentage. He became the first player, the first player in the NCAA database to rank in the top 25 in points, Rebounds, blocks, and field goal percentage. He was the first player in NCAA history with 750 points, 400 rebounds, 70 blocks, and 50 assists. He became the third high major player behind two legends. But these guys did it as freshmen. Michael Beasley and Kevin Durant to rank in the NCAA's top 10 in both scoring and rebounds in the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. And he's a good defender. He was like these... He's one of the best, well, one of the best defenders as far as his size. Now, he's not an elite shot blocker, but he has shown improvement as far as, like, his timing. But he's a good defender because of his size. Like, you do not want to go into the paint against this. I mean, he's like a tree. 7'4", 300 pounds. Right, now, here is my scouting report on eating. Huge interior presence at 7'4", nearly impossible to stop around the rim. He has a strong lower base that allows him to get really deep position. He's competitive. He plays tough. He is not a gentle giant. That's one thing about Zach He is not your gentle giant. He has an edge to him, soft touch around the rim. He finishes with both hands, has an effective hook over both shoulders. He is an improving rebounder. And he averaged 12.7 rebounds this year, so he's he's a, a good rebounder. But that wasn't always the case, like his freshman year and his sophomore year. Again, he's just an intimidating interior presence because of his size. He's not afraid to initiate the contact. Again, not a gentle giant. He's fundamentally sound. He does what I wish some of the more athletic bigs would do, and that is keep the ball high. Now, you have guys that are smaller than him. Of course, they're more athletic, so they're looking to power up. But Edie is a textbook, fundamentally sound, throwback center. He keeps the ball high. He's excellent when it comes to scoring the offensive rebound putbacks. And he, despite the fact that he's a huge, massive presence, he is agile enough to, to finish as the role man. But, you know, you don't get a whole lot of role man opportunities in college basketball. The concerns, well, this is not necessarily a concern, it's a fact. But he was born in the wrong era. If Zach Edey was in the 2002 draft, he'd be one of the top picks. It's just the game has changed. But, again, the question that I talked about at the beginning of the episode is, is this the return of the big man? A little bit of concerns about him defending in space. We saw a game where Jalen hood Shafino just literally picked him apart in drop coverage. I think he scored like 36 points. So that could be somewhat of a concern. He needs to improve his shooting range. Well, he doesn't need to, but that is somewhat of a concern considering you know the modern big is, is somewhat of a floor spacer or a defensive anchor. He is an improving shot blocker. Now, he doubled his blocks per game from his sophomore to his junior year. Curious to see what happens next season. Then, as far as like a decision making, he has 106 assists and 179 career turnovers what I would like to see is for him to extend his range now when I saw him at the combine I thought it was interesting some of the drills that they put him through they were showcasing his agility and his coordination and I mean you don't see guys seven four three hundred pounds often so it's kind of weird to compare him to anybody else that size but he actually moves well for a size and that was like the main point of emphasis i felt like at his pro day but i think zach edie is a tough i mean he's a tough prospect to evaluate especially coming back to school because like what can he do better like what can he absolutely do to have a better year than what he had last year i mean he won all the player of the year awards so I don't know if he should, like, try to show NBA teams that he can space the floor and shoot threes because that's maybe trying to help his draft stock, but I don't think that's helping Purdue. All right, the next player that I want to talk about is another massive giant of a big man, and it is Ryan Cockbrenner from my hometown, Creighton Blue Jays. It's the second straight episode where I talked about Omaha, and I'm still wearing the Spence Crawford fight was ranked third nationally in field goal percentage. Like I feel like Kogbrenner does not miss. Like There was one point, I believe he made 22 straight field goals. I don't think he missed in the month of November. And his, his efficiency was one of the top 25 most efficient seasons in college basketball history. He is a traditional low post, back to the basket score. Good touch around the rim. Again, he doesn't miss, but he's a good defender. Like, he's... I'll be honest. I will just keep it real. That's what that's what I do. Sometimes, if a guy is, if he's white and he is a traditional center, the knock on him is he's a bad athlete. Can he defend? And sometimes people just think defense is all about athleticism. No, Carl Brenner is not an elite athlete, but he's a good defender. He is one of a, a handful of players in the history of the Big East to win Defensive Player of the Year twice in a row. Now the guys that I know have done it all went to Georgetown. Patrick Ewing, Alonzo Mourning, um, Dikembe Mutombo, oh, no Mourning didn't do it. Allen Iverson did it, two-time defensive player of the year. Overall, Kalkbrenner shot 66% from the floor against top 25 opponents. He averaged 15.6 rebounds per game and two blocks when Creighton went against top 25 opponents. All right, my starting notes on Ryan Cockburn are soft touch with good hands, he's agile, he moves well, uses both hands around the rim, similar to Zach Eadie, scores over both shoulders, has good feel as a passer, finds cutters, open shooters, poised and patient in the post, very fundamentally sound, he fights for low post position, just your typical throwback center. He would also be a at least a lottery pick if he played or if he were born a few years earlier, if this was like the early 2000s or in the 1990s. I love the fact that he also keeps the ball high, has a jump hook and a fadeaway in his arsenal, and he's just a bucket when he gets the ball around the rim. Like He is one of these guys, if he gets a paint touch, you might as well chalk it up two points. Now he is a below the rim finisher, lacks the ideal athleticism, and the big concerns are can he defend in space? And does he have the floor spacing ability to be able to find a niche in the NBA if he's not going to be fed post-touches? All right, last player that I want to talk about is a guy that blew up last year on social media. Shout out to KJ Pistons. Uh, we know him as KJ in the Draft Tour World. Made the video on Grant Nelson that kind of like Put him into like this social media darling category and Grant Nelson is a player that he is he's probably gonna be one of the most watched players in college basketball this season a little bit about Grant Nelson from a small town in North Dakota is a late bloomer and before you know the big viral video he was relatively unknown Now, he played against Arkansas, I want to say it was like the first game of the year, first or second game of the year for North Dakota State. Had a a decent game and a blowout. Had another game against Kansas where he was relatively unnoticeable, like nothing he really did stood out. But then once he got into conference play, he just showcased like this unique ability to finish at the rim. He can handle the ball at 6'11". He's 6'11", 225. He can handle the ball. He moves extremely well. He really moves like a wing, but he's not like your your thin 6'11 skilled bigs. He's 6'11", solid 225, good body, good strength. He decided to return to school after putting his name in the NBA draft. I was at the combine and just watching him work out the jump shot is a work in progress, and I just thought that he really struggled, kind of finding his spots in the pickup games, and just didn't seem to me know how to play when he was surrounded by really good players. Just didn't know how to how to score. And so um, I heard that was also the case when he worked out this summer with WME, his agency, when he worked out with some of their prospects. So that is something to look out for, but. He transferred from North Dakota State to Alabama. He chose Alabama over Arkansas, which I think is a good fit for him. Alabama loses pretty much their, their three best frontline players. And Brandon Miller, uh, Noah Clowney, and Charles Bediaco. They all declared for the draft. Now, last year at North Dakota State, Nelson averaged 17.9 points per game, 9.3 rebounds, two assists, shot 52% from the floor, and just had a collection of highlight reel dunks and finishes that athletic plays around the rim. Again, he's a really, really gifted athlete. Great combination of size, ball handling, strength, athleticism, and a little bit of toughness and finishing around the rim. Now he has great, great skill for his size, a ton of upside, but he can't shoot. Now if he's not able to shoot the ball, I think that has an impact on his ability to put the ball on the floor and attack the rim, because he can in transition, I mean, there's a lot of things he, he can do well, but in the half court, I think he's going to need to improve as a shooter to really open up his game. He can post up, and that's one of the things I do like about him, he can post up and take advantage of mismatches. Again, he's, he's got some grit and got some toughness to his game, but what makes him special is, again, his fluid, his fluidity. The ball handling, the straight line speed, the frames, got good footwork. He has the tools. It's just can he put it together? He's also a pretty good passer, and I think he's a very underrated passer. And I think that could be a skill set that I think he'll be able to showcase. Now, my scouting report on him is that he's a skilled big, moves like a wing, fluid, can handle the ball, very good at posting up smaller defenders. He can face up and attack. And he has a a nice right-to-left crossover that he uses. I mean, there are highlights where he hits the guy with the right-to-left crossover, gets to his launching spot, and and he's above the rim. He will put you on a poster. Strong finisher around the rim. I remember I talked to a a scout from an NBA team last year, and, and he was intrigued by Nelson. And he mentioned that they had nobody on their team that, at that size, could put the ball on the floor and make a play at the rim, or even finished around the rim with that type of intensity and toughness and played above the rim. So he was intrigued by him. The concerns are the shooting. Shot below 30% from three. Even though he, you would think that he would, like, thrive in transition, there are times where it, it just doesn't seem like he's running the floor. He could get, I, I think, he get a few more easy buckets if he ran the floor hard. Now, he does run the floor hard I, I put i say that i just don't think he does it all the time and then i think he needs to work on his left hand like he is very limited when you force him to his weak hand. but what i would like to see from grant nelson in 23 24 is it's a combination of things i want to see how well he responds to sec play the bigger step up in competition is he able to find his spot to know when the score can he can he score if he's not being featured? Because he was heavily featured in North Dakota State last year. Will he improve as an outside shooter? Can he improve as an outside shooter? Because the jump shot looks like it's a ways away. It really looks like it's going to take some time. I think there's some mechanical flaws there. And then, again, this is, I guess, the important thing. He struggled at the combine as far as finding ways to impact the game. Is he going to be able to find ways to impact the game at Alabama? and in the SEC, because Alabama's gonna be talented. It's gonna be a talented team this year. I don't think it's gonna be like last year's team, but I do think it's going to be a, a pretty talented team. All right, well that wraps up this episode. I got one more, one more episode in the three-part series where I talk about the best returning big men in college basketball. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow, and I am out.